This is episode number 340, The Power of Nonlinear Life Paths, with Andrew Thorpe King. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohit, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your false potential. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to make a few quick announcements. The first announcement being in regard to our work, and that is if our work has had any form of impact in your life, please consider supporting our cause by either making a contribution through our website at overcomingodds.today or leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. The second announcement that I wanted to make is in regard to our most recent program called Curiosity, the Key to Rewriting Your Story. What this is, is a five-week course that we've been developing over the past six years after working with people from all over the world in helping them rewrite different parts of their story. The story of their past, the story of their present, the story of their future, the story of what they want to be and who they want to become. If you feel like this program resonates with you and you are looking to rewrite different parts of your personal narrative, please visit our website at overcomingodds.today where you'll be able to find the latest details. Now, let's get back to the show. I'm glad we're able to connect, and I'm actually rereading the response to the question that I asked you at the beginning, and that's, what do you do when you feel like you're becoming a person you don't want to be? And you had answered with, embrace excessive stillness, solitude, and reflection. Take inventory of my attitudes, authenticity, spiritual state, in relationship with my calling journey. I find that to be very interesting because A, it shows that you put a lot of time and effort into putting a response like that. And I'm curious, starting with the attitude component of it, well, let's maybe even backtrack. How do you even know when you are becoming that person that you don't want to be? Right. What are those early signs yes. that you recognize? So drifting away from authenticity, right? So it's a tough thing to really put your finger on. And I've been doing a lot of thinking on this. I actually did a video on this topic on my YouTube channel. So obviously the book I have coming out, Failure Rules, Five Rules of Failure for Entrepreneurs, Creatives, and Authentics, right? So the notion of authenticity is something I think a lot about. And I actually kind of have a definition of terms in the book where I say that, you know, an authentic is not really somebody that's always their authentic self because I think it's a constant spectrum that you're grappling with and discovery on what, who, what, what does it mean to even be authentic? Like, what does that mean? Right. And so one of the things is, you know, there's certainly settings, um, you know, um, relationships, um, roles that we have in life where I think we feel discomfort, we feel uncomfortable. And sometimes we think that means that we don't belong there. It's not something we should be doing. It's not who we are. It's not our authentic self. And I think, I think that's like the times where we really need to take inventory and say, okay, what does it mean to be my authentic self? And can I integrate multiple ways of being into who my evolving authentic self is, mm. right? 
So in, so in times where I feel like I'm drifting away from the person that I want to be, um, there's that's one of the tests. I say, okay, if I'm feeling this change or if I'm being forced in this kind of obligatory setting, obligatory role, how can I view this? It doesn't need to be replacing who I believe I am with something new. It can be additive. Uh, and if that's the case, is, is this role, is this setting, is this direction uh, or this pursuit that feels uncomfortable and feels outside of the realm of who I am, is this something that can be additive and become part of, of the next version of myself, the next version of my authentic self? And so thinking through that is one thing I do. And sometimes the answer is no, uh, whatever, whatever the role or setting or obligation is, it might be like, no, this is actually too far of a drift. This is not something I want to integrate into the future authentic self that I want to become. And the answer is no, but some, oftentimes it's yes, or oftentimes I have no choice and I force kind of a way of being to say, how can I make this uh, an additive part of who I'm going to become authentically? Um, but, you know, I definitely, that takes a lot of reflection and a lot of people just feel the discomfort and say, no, I don't want to do this or I want to get out of this or I want to go a different direction. This isn't me. And I think it takes a lot of reflection to be able to kind of constantly integrate who we're evolving to become and measure it up against our sense of our own authenticity. That's not an easy thing to do. And so like, you know, letting the spiritual re lead the physical uh, as, you know, the Maharaj of, of Prague once, you know, described is very key because otherwise we're just kind of reflexively batted around like ping pong balls, you know, mm -hmm. from a, an emotional, spiritual sense. When did you start doing this? Much of this work as far as stillness, reflection, I'm, I'm assuming meditation is somehow also incorporated as part of this. Yeah, so I would say that, you know, I've always been a contemplative person. Um, I've always been, I'm, I'm fine in groups and social settings. I can bring a lot of energy and uh, I can receive a lot of energy. But I would say that moreover, I need excessive amounts of reflection and silence, both for my own creativity and output, and also just a metabolized life. I think life is very, very complex. I, I try to live a big life and the bigger my life gets, the more necessary it is to have more reflection time. <laughs> Welcome it's to a very hard thing to balance. Right? <laughs> I, got all this, I got all this shit going on, but whoa, 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 whoa. I can't just keep going. I, mm. I, need, I need some retreat time. And the retreat time is not really passive, right? I might be doing physically passive things. I could be you know, going for a bike ride, taking a walk, lifting weights, smoking a cigar in my hot tub, but it's not actually passive. It looks like I'm not doing anything, but the amount of processing in my mind, body, in my mind and spirit and planning and triaging what I'm going to do next and how, and deciding how I'm going to feel about certain things. I mean, I think a lot of times we just feel things. We say, I feel X or I feel Y, but we can separate our feelings from our decisions and we can step back and say, all right, I feel this way about this, this way about this. And then you decide how you're going to feel. You know, oftentimes with some sort of deliberate sense of, you know, juxtaposing that feeling against a principle or or, or uh, an objective or an ambition, you know, or a knowledge of, of how you want to show up in the world. That takes a lot of reflection work. So, I mean, I'm a night owl. Uh, I'm not really a morning person until the afternoon. So I do all this at night, um, you know, between nine and one in the morning. That's where I'm either writing, I'm reading, listening to a podcast, or I'm having quiet reflection. And, um, you know, that's how I kind of sort through my emotions, um, my, my future aims, uh, and to this topic, um, constantly evaluating and taking inventory of who I am and who I'm becoming 
and whether I like it or not, uh, and, 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 and trying to guide that. So it's taking inventory of my authenticity, my spirituality, and my relationship to my calling journey. So uh, if I'm drifting in a certain path and it feels like it's not the person I want to be, two things could be the case. One could be the case that this thing that's making me feel like it's, it's, I'm not myself actually will end up shaping me into a future self that aligns with my ultimate calling journey and kind of my highest usefulness in the world in terms of what I can bring to the world. And it takes a little foresight to maybe see beyond the horizon that this uncomfortable, you know, uh, event happening in my life might actually be bringing me closer to my alignment with my calling journey. And sometimes it's not. And that's a, a garbled kind of strange thing to interpret. And for me, it's that silence where I hear my internal spirit voice. And sometimes without any clear reasoning, I can get a signal that like, hey, I shouldn't be going this direction, so I'm going this direction. Or even though this direction feels uncomfortable, this is a good hard, this is a good uncomfortable. I'm gonna lean into this because I believe it's actually gonna bring me into alignment with my highest usefulness in the world. And so much of it is just trial and error, right? Even in what you just described, like being able to take a step back and reflect and you think you're paving one path and a series of decisions and then halfway through you realize that, okay, maybe that wasn't the path, right? And I think that yeah. that's what I'm finding as far as my journey goes is the beauty of it, the beauty to experience and, and really just not be attached to certain outcomes, to expectations mm. and just let it come. Like, and I yes. think that's part of it also going back to the authenticity, at least in my opinion, that's what it means to me to be authentic. And that's to, to experience it as it is and to not put limitations as far as, well, I thought I was this. Or yes. I, I, I didn't think I was quote unquote dishonest, right? Or I didn't think right. I was capable of X, Y, and Z. When the reality, it's like, well, maybe you didn't think those things because you didn't have the opportunities to test those things. I was thinking about it actually this morning. Like I'm a very much a experiential learner. I need to be able to experience the things to really grasp the lesson, the concept or whatever it is. And I was thinking this morning that in my case, I think it would be difficult for me to understand what it means to be honest if I wasn't once dishonest. It would be mm. difficult for me to understand how to love if I wasn't loved. It would be difficult to understand what it means to have a friend until the time I didn't have a friend, right? Mm. So all these things I'm finding that it so much of the journey, I think, even in regard to authenticity, who you become, A, there is no endpoint. Just like there's no one yes. point to growth and there's yes. no end point to maturity. That's right. One day you think you know it all, and then you meet someone else and you're like, hold up. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know any of this. <laughs> Let's start over again. <laughs> and I think that's yeah. the beauty is just being, at least what I'm finding, being able to express who I am, regardless of who the individual or the set of circumstances I'm meeting. Like in this case, right? Anyone who's watching this can be like, Andrew's smoking a cigar. What is he doing? Blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, like, if you feel comfortable in who you are, I feel very comfortable. <laughs> you know, then why does it like, why? I guess for me, the question is, why do many of us or some of us, whatever the number looks like, put so much weight on the opinion of other people yeah. as it relates to our own being, our own authenticity? You said a mouthful there. That's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> Anybody watching this can Luckily, see that we I was got the time. My head. 
we got all the yeah. time in the world. <laughs> I was nodding my head in agreement. I mean, you're touching on so many things that have kind of really been the forefront of my focus over the past few years. There's this idea of intentionally being anticipating and being comfortable with uncertainty. And the notion that we don't always have to have an opinion. We don't always have to know exactly what we're doing or why we're doing it. That's always helpful. I mean, a why is great for driving uh, for driving meaning in your life, but there's gonna be a lot of gray areas where, you know, like you said, you're out testing things. Uh, you don't know what something is sometimes until you don't have it, right? It's And then you kind of see the contrast. Uh, and this idea of outcomes and predictability. And, you know, I just wrote a whole book on failure. The book's called Failure Rules. And it is about that, right? It is about the idea of going out and testing different things with, with the intent of destroying future regret. Because sometimes the failure to do something is worse than doing it and failing. And I much prefer doing something and failing, learning from it, and having that be integrated into my story, integrated into my wisdom acquisition, integrated into the skills that I can still pick from the rubble of that failure and then apply to something that might be successful or different or meaningful in a different way uh, later on. Um, I prefer all of that than, than not trying something, even with attendant risk uh, and, and knowing that you can still make wise, good, and maximally informed decisions that don't lead to either good outcomes or literally linearly traceable outcomes, right? So you can make a good decision with all the information at hand and it still might not work out and it still was a good decision because you made it with all the information you had at hand, uh, you know, if that's the case, you did it and you did it in a way where it satisfied a desire that was burning inside of you. And even if it fails, that was a good decision. You still have to deal with the messiness of failure. You're going to have to pivot. You're going to have to reinvent, but you still kind of have that, that, that experience to draw from uh, um, to inform your, your next steps and inform your inform who you become. And so this idea that like, failure or um, being wrong and predicting on how something's going to work out after you make a decision, particularly big decisions, right? Like where you go to school, what proficient profession, what job you take, just quitting a job, marriage, starting another business, you know, whatever it is that all those things that like, you know, somehow you're derelict in your decision-making process if they don't work out or if they don't work out the way you saw them. I just think that is such a hurdle for, real, true, adventurous, authentic, loud living. I mean, if you're always, if you're not going to move forward on things, unless you're convinced the outcome will be 100% predictable, or if you're not going to be comfortable uh, with the, the spectrum of outcomes, I, I just don't see how you can really live, you know, with fullness. Yeah. Well, I, I, I agree with you. And I think to add on, I don't know how you could see any life, live any life, period. Every decision has some level of uncertainty, right? Yes. And yes. I and I think it's an illusion, at least what I've discovered through my experience, in thinking that okay, this is the right decision. It has a hundred percent certainty. No decision has that. Every decision has That's risk. True. Every decision has all these. I'm listening to this uh, interesting book. At, at least it's interesting to me, and uh, it's written by Daniel Gilbert. And essentially, the concept that he explores is what is happiness. And how do we find it? And how does comparison of one individual to the next impact our own definition? 
And one of the chapters in there that he talks about are the things that are not known to us. And he brings up the example of Sherlock Holmes and how he'll go into every crime scene and he'll ask questions, not about the things that happened and were documented, but about things that didn't happen. Now, for example, if someone breaks into the house and let's say the dog doesn't bark, he doesn't ask the question of, well, what had happened, but more so, why did the dog not bark? Maybe the dog knew who the person broke in. Okay, what is that network? So I think what I'm trying to get to is so much of this is really about getting comfortable with the unknown, yep. understanding that uncertainty is just inevitable, right? Just like change. And in this case, change, it's going to happen with or without us, period. Mm-hmm. And I think the failure component's interesting, and I'm curious to hear your perspective on A, what does failure mean to you? And B, why did you begin to view it this way? Yeah. So you're touching on a few things here that are, that are interesting to me. I mean, what you're describing in a, in a general sense um, is this concept that Simon Sinek talks about, about the infinite game, right? Yes. Like, yeah. There, there, there's no end point, right? There's no like date certain victory where you, you, you hang up your hat and you are done whether it's in business or entrepreneurialism or life or relationships, it's a constant iteration. It's a constant, like, like going to the gym every day. It's constant breaking yeah, down evolution. and building up. Mm. Yeah. It's a constant evolution. It's all a discovery process. You know, there is not this like, uh, you know, end point where happiness all of a sudden befalls you. It's, you, you don't just work your whole life and then you retire and say, all right, now it's just 100% passive pleasure happiness, joy, utopia. <laughs> I mean, and I write about that in the book too, like this idea mm. of retirement, I think is very, very skewed. I mean, the whole concept of retirement really didn't exist for, for most of history in most cultures, right? It was as long as you had a body and mind to do something, you did something useful to contribute to the world, whether it was monetized or not, right? Mm. And so that, that connects you know to passion it, and, meaning and vitality. And Do you know you what know, it right? came about? Do you know when it, retirement became a thing? Not really. I mean, in America, not really to like the 1950s, you know, uh, I mean, you, you look at like uh, ancient Hebrew culture, um, usually when there's not a word in Hebrew to represent a concept, that means the concept didn't exist or wasn't even really something understood in Hebrew. And there's no there's no word for retirement in Hebrew. So, I mean, just thinking of that, like from from an ancient perspective, like this is not something that was in the mindset of people <laughs> like re- re- retirement or kind of a bowing out of active output in life or active service was a regrettable thing that happened when you just didn't have the capability anymore. It wasn't something you chose, chose to do. So, you know, I know a lot of people, not a lot of people, I know some people in my life who've had success and have retired early um, or accidental retirement, but still with, with financial freedom. Um, and some, not all of the, these people do struggle with meaning in their life. You know, they, they kind of didn't, didn't really build in the scaffolding of, of, of um, kind of a portfolio of uh, fulfillment inputs to sustain them after financial freedom was reached. And so, you know, I talk about this in the book is, you know, have a portfolio of pursuits to maximize both financial freedom and meaning and fulfillment, right? So it's like, I don't do just do many things so I can have multiple income sources and have that kind of uh, diversity. But I do many things also for the fulfillment diversity. I mean, you can be involved in, say, maybe uh, two business ventures and, and a few hobbies, monetized or not, uh, have, have, have a meaningful relationship. And between all those things, they're going to give you various percentages of fulfillment at various seasons in your life. 
for me, the goal is that at any season, the, the aggregate composite of those things, however they, they recalibrate and fluctuate, gives me as close to 100% fulfillment in my life as possible. You know, and they go up and down in terms of fulfillment percentage in each one of those areas of my life. But if you have a small life, if you have uh, maybe only one pursuit uh, or one interest, I think that your probability of, of deep fulfillment lessens and, and you're going to be susceptible to emptiness and depression. I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, within that, what's going to happen when it's gone, right? right. Or it changes. Right. What are you, gonna, you lose interest. What are you going to – Right. What are you going to, what are you going to pivot to? What are you going to collapse into? Are you building that now into your life? Right. Either you know, actively or in your mind, like, Oh, if X happens, I'm going to pursue X. Uh, if X happens, I'm going to pursue X, X and X and see which one bears fruit or connects with me. Right. And so it's like always having this waterfall of like contingency plans or waterfall of disaster recovery plans, disaster recovery plans in your mind uh, for the various areas of your life. I mean, that's financial relationship. Uh, you know, no. hobbies, interests, pursuits, and, and that's a reinvention mentality, right? That's a uh, that's kind of a a way of, of viewing life as this uncertain, unsafe, uh, evolving, infinite game. You know, that's one of fa failure failure rule number two in my book is nothing is safe. Which sounds pessimistic. It sounds you know, <laughs> I gave the book to one person, but like, oh, that true. sounds very paranoid. But it's true, like you said, even the smallest of decisions don't don't have certainty. I mean, uh, think about how many things have to work each day just for us to go through our lives. <laughs> and how amazing it is that most of them do. I mean, everything yeah. from the lights, lights go on when you wake up and, you know, the microwave works, you get in your car, it starts, you know, and you go in an elevator uh, and then you use the toilet and then you order a coffee and think about how many people had to wake up and do their preparation in order to deliver you that coffee. I mean, the mechanisms that run the world and the fact that, yes, things break down and things don't work and we have bad days and sometimes shit happens. Sure. But think about how much actually works on most days for you to just go about your normal daily life. That's amazing to me. Right. But yet the, and we think of them as safe and when they don't work, we kind of freak out sometimes as if it was just expected that they're going to work. And, and the reality is it's more of a miracle that they work at all with the, with the uh, proficiency that so many things work, at least in, you know, modern te technological, you know, developed, you know, countries. Why do you think the negative things tend to outweigh the positive ones? Like in this case, being able to just observe all the things that had to work in order for you to get here. I mean, I, I was thinking even the not step beyond, but just a different step, like ability to breathe, to see, to speak. Mm, you know, like yeah. those are the things you just wake up with. And you don't even yes, understand right. how it all works, but it right. does before you have the ability to go into the bathroom, to have that bite of breakfast, to do all these things there's just a whole other system that has to work the way it does in order for you to experience it. And I'm curious if you've ever pondered upon this, why do the negative things tend to outweigh the things? So one negative thing, like, you know, car broke down, all of a sudden it outweighs the whole day. I've been trying to understand, yeah. like, why, why is right, it like right. that? Yeah. When I really mean, there were thousands of, of things that happened yes. that were positive. So this goes back to your previous question. Connects well to me uh, or for me to, to the concept of failure, right? I've experienced a lot of hardships and failures in, in, my, in my life, particularly my early adulthood, my 20s and my 30s. I'm in my late 40s now. And my, my uh, the decade of my 40s has been the, the most magnificent 
prosper, prosperous, you know, amazing, dynamic decade in my life. But prior to that, I mean, it was failure after failure after failure from uh, divorce uh, through going through a personal bankruptcy to, to save some businesses, to uh, mortgage default, to estrangement with my son, to one time even falling on public assistance, you know, kind of losing it all, going through all of these things. So to me, when most of the things in my early life went wrong catastrophically, serially, <laughs> now when things go right, I'm so amazed that, and so happy that I just, I just can't believe it because I, I fundamentally view things as unsafe and I expect things or at least know how things can fundamentally go wrong catastrophically, uh, you know, in a cascading way. And yeah. so when I, when they don't, it's all house money to me. I can't believe that, that things are going right. So I think my orientation obviously shaped by that, which is one of the values of failure is that it kind of sets you up for the right attitudes towards future success or goodness in your life in terms of gratitude, in terms of um, just uh, self-awareness. Uh, and, you know, like you said, you wake up and everything works. Most, many of the times for many of the people, um, you know, not to try to minimize uh, health problems and all that that so many people have too, but, 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 but when you wake up and you're like, okay, I can speak, I can think, I can walk to get breakfast. It's like the Willie Nelson song. I woke up not, not dead again today. You know, like I think of that, like that's a good day. I woke up not dead again today. You know, and um, the, the mechanics of our body and our mind and how that all kind of synergizes. I mean, it's, it's a miracle, really, that all, all that circuitry within us biologically, uh, you know, functions. It's pretty so wild, well for so many it? people, much of the time. Yeah, it is. Because it it's not the history of the world either, really. Right. I mean, um, you know, the the the. the the, the um, years we have in our lives today is longer than, you know, much, much of the history of the world and all the advances in medicine and all of that. It's, you know, with all the problems in the world, um, you know, there's, there, there's so much to marvel at, I think. Yeah. I'll pause there. I don't know that I really answered your question, it, but I'll pause it's there. All right. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's all right. It's, it's also fascinating to me how oftentimes I forget the fact that literally we are living in history. Right. I mean, you know yes. what I mean? Like there, there is no yeah. day ahead of the current day. We're literally yeah. living on the last day. Everyone is living on the last day until tomorrow and the day after and the day out. And that to me is just like unbelievable to think sometimes. Yeah. How every single I never day, thought about like, that yeah, you, you've had all these days before, but you're literally every single second, every moment is a new moment in history because mm -hmm. it's never been September 9th, 2022, 1 56 p.m. You know, this is the first yeah. time. That's right. right. And that yeah. to me, it's, it's just, it, it, it's kind of mind blowing that we get to experience it, it and, I'm almost like at a loss of words sometimes trying to process that moment. Well, and it's, it's a real thing. I mean, that goes to being present. That goes to stillness. That goes to recognize, recognizing the isolated uniqueness of a moment and to know that tomorrow is uncertain. It's not only uncertain for me individually, it could be uncertain for the world. It could be uncertain in all kinds of ways. We do not know what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, 
And to capture a moment, it's a difficult thing to do. I mean, particularly with the, you know, every, everything trying to, you know, grab our attention in the modern frenetic world, which I don't think is a bad thing. I'm not saying that's bad at all. I, I love the energy of the modern frenetic world. I think it needs to be balanced with uh, intentional times of solitude and spirituality. But uh, at the same time, like, you know, we are living in moments where we're simultaneously literally dead to the previous moment. We're dying every moment. Uh, and we also have an opportunity to capture life at every moment uh, and kind of marvel in the wonder that we have this moment. We don't know that we'll have another one or many more. And what happened before is dead. It no longer really exists. It exists in our memory and maybe the memory of others and sometimes in the immortal documentation of art or, or, or literature. Uh, but the reality is the past moments are dead. They do not exist anymore. The only thing that exists is now, this moment, mm-hmm. me talking to Oleg, mm-hmm. you're on Zoom smoking a cigar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it, it. It's it's so well put because it, it makes me realize or it makes me remember the number of times throughout my life where I chose to hang on to the past for mm. not only days, but for years, right? Going back to the failure, the book that you had written, one of the things that I have found that's interesting to me is all of those times that I chose to hang on to as failure moments. And mm. I wish I didn't do this. I, if I right. would have done this, then I would have saved this relationship. If I would have done this, then I wouldn't have had to face that. And then really, ultimately, I think how I have come to terms with it is I just started to embrace those things. And, yes. and almost yes. flip the script completely mm-hmm. as far as maybe I had to do those things in order to get to where you are, right? Like yeah. maybe yeah. I had to sit on the floor of the apartment thinking, damn, I got eight hours to pay X, Y, and Z. And if I don't, well, mm-hmm. what's going to happen? So let's mm-hmm. see what, what the day is made of. Let's see what opportunities I can create. Let's see who I can call. Let's see what new muscles I can start to exercise, right? Let's see what courage really looks like. So all these things, and I think going back to kind of what you just mentioned as far as living a bold life, I don't know if it's truly possible without embracing failure through a completely different lens other than this is a thing that's meant to slow me down. I don't like this. I need to get rid of this in my life. More so, how do I incorporate this into my day-to-day? Yes. Wow. So you, you just touched on a bunch of different nerves for me, some, some great stuff there. So I think of a few things, right? So on the one hand, I think it's safe to say that most people still want to avoid failure. Like that's still a fundamental precept here. Like we're not trying to create or induce failure, right? And we know it will come. And failure is a very broad term, at least in the way that I define it. It's not just like, I should have done X and I didn't and I failed or I went to try to accomplish X and it didn't work and I didn't accomplish it there. I failed. It's also the general experiential failure of participating in the human condition, sickness, war, um, you know, um, tragedies that befall you or your family that you can't control. So there's failures we can't control because it's part and parcel of the human condition. Life is wabi sabi, man. It's, it's, it's perfect because it's a little fucked up. You know, that's what <laughs> life is, True. you know, and it's like, you have to acknowledge that, acknowledge that it's unsafe, it's imperfect, and then step back and say, all right, it's like a morphati, like the, the stoic principle. I say yes, I embrace it all, and I'm going to find beauty and joy and, 
and, and, and life in this imperfection. I'll avoid failure when I can, but it's not going to stop me from pursuing things that are burning within me because I want to destroy future regret, future regret. I'd rather fit, try and fail than not try at all and have regret, you know, and it's, um, it's just embracing all of it. I mean, so I have, I have like, there's this term that I use in the book. Uh, it's calling journey, right? Not that you have one specific calling. It's not that a calling is some destination, kind of going back to that infinite game theory. It's more that you have a calling journey and it's trying to feel out, you know, what is your journey? What are the, 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 the roadblocks along the way that you're actually supposed to run into, you know, and overcome and, and, and get through and work through, become who you're going to become next. And it's what are the kind of um, detours that you're meant to take um, to, to live an interesting life. And, and how do you kind of like interpret the right way to live, to be aligned with your calling journey, to ultimately fulfill your highest usefulness and value to the world. Um, and I describe it with two adjectives. It's the mysterious, tumultuous calling journey, because that's often what it is. It's mysterious because you're not always sure where it's leading. Um, you can have a gut instinct that you're on the right path, even if that path is just littered with obstacles. And reality uh, and proves that's otherwise. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and that's why it's tumultuous because it's not clear. It's going to be rocky. But that's also the beauty in it. That's also where the life is found. That's where the learning is found. That's where the wisdom is acquired. That's where depth in relationships often is, um, you know, kind of sparked. I mean, some of my most closest relationships are with people who I've walked through very uncertain, treacherous pursuit paths with. And those relationships are extremely um, deep and meaningful as a result of that. Um, because you know you're walking along the road with rocks and you get cut and you you open up and uh, when you open up you can really get to know someone and, and the character and loyalty and and competence and all those other things mm. you mentioned two things that that i found interesting the first is the the obstacles and the detours and and you said correct me if i'm wrong but you said something along the lines of obstacles that you are meant to go through and in detours what do you mean by meant as in you get to decide this was an obstacle that was meant to be there so you get to assign the reason to it or is there another another layer to that yeah right so that's a very good question not one that i can answer with any sort of uh, authoritative <laughs> certainty so everything that was shared, <laughs> right. I kind of go back to the mystery thing, right? It's like, mm -hmm. you know, you, you, you have a series of options and an inflection point in your life in what I call your calling journey. And it might be that whatever you choose still becomes an important valuable piece in your ongoing journey. Um, but I do feel like there are some times where we get this sense within us and it might be because of a logical analysis or it might be a combination of a logical analysis and a kind of a, a spiritual uh, instinct for the gaps, that this is the path to go, even though I don't know exactly how it's going to shape out. Uh, and in the end, we look back and say, yes, that was meant to happen because look what has happened since then. And, and the reality is, look, we don't really know that, right? The whole meant thing. I mean, they could, 
there's notions of providence in there. Um, there's notions of how providence Einstein, might interact with yeah. your, free, your free will, <clears throat> you know, uh, embracing uh, predictable randomness. Um, there's all kinds of things that kind of go into that. But I think ultimately, <clears throat> I think for those who are trying to discover um, their path of most usefulness in the world and are working to interpret signaling in the world that will lead them down that path, I do think that they will converge and collide into certain things that they are meant to do. And many of them will be obstacles that they are meant to challenge and overcome. Mm. So do, do you think to a degree, every person has that thing within them as far as the, the journey to be explored? Obviously, the path is probably going to be different from one person to the next and then through a series of yes whatever you know experiences <clears throat> encounters books podcasts whatever it is they get aligned and then more aligned more aligned more aligned do it is am i understanding that correctly? i do yeah i do i do and again it's it's not something you can define real clearly but i do think we all have this voice within us uh and we can choose to ignore it or we can choose to listen to us and the voice is is is, is ethereal um, you know, some people recognize it as God, some people recognize it as just their soul, some people recognize it as just our inner voice. But we have this inner voice. I mean, you know, Stephen Pressfield calls it the muse. Um, this thing that beckons us and causes us to do things sometimes that might not even make sense on the surface. I mean, just using the Stephen Pressfield example, I mean, he would work jobs in advertising for three or four years, save up a significant amount, amount of money, and then almost recklessly, by listening to his internal spirit voice, would quit that job and go burn his savings for a number of years and go write a book that he had absolutely no proof was going to sell <laughs> or make him money. And he lived out of his, the trunk of his car at one point, he was homeless, but he knew that he was meant to do these things. And now he's a best-selling author and all of that. He had a marriage that blew up. He had all kinds of what seemed like intentionally destructive things to do to get to this path. But yet, had he not done them, he wouldn't be where he is now. And there was no guarantee that he would be where he is now. But something inside, there's this voice, right? He calls it the muse. Um, and we can choose to listen to that to various degrees, or we can choose to shut it down. And I think people that shut down that voice inside of them ultimately, ultimately manifest different sicknesses in their lives. Physical, mental, emotional, relationship sicknesses. And it's much better to listen to it and deal with the tumult that it might force you to go into than to not listen to it. To me, it sounds like having the courage to try. <clears throat> yeah. And to step out into the unknown. Step out into danger intentionally, into unsafe spaces intentionally. It's interesting. It's really interesting what you and I are talking about here because it it's making me think of all the times where I've had to do that in my life. Let me rephrase that, not had to, that I chose to do that. And then also a lot of the other people who I'm surrounded with who chose to do similar things and kind of going back to how you and I have had this conversation to this point, there is no certainty with any of it, right? Even when you do have the courage to try it's not guaranteed that you're going to achieve that thing or you're going to write that book or that book yep. is going to be sold or all these other things. Mm -hmm. I have actually heard that story and I don't know if it's the same person. It might've been someone else 
he did a similar thing. He would go into a job, work a number of years, and then take like a two or three year sabbatical. Yeah. Go do something completely unrelated to gain some other right. experience that he didn't even know of. Come back, get a different job, make a bunch of money, go out there and do something else. To me, it, it, that always seemed very intriguing because it was different. No, I looked at an individual like that and I thought, not necessarily, I wish I could do the same, but it's more so that is very interesting approach because most approaches when it comes to career building, you start, you work, yep. you work, you work, you work, you work, you finish, you retire, right? There is no, you start, you stop, go do something you detour. else, you detour, you, detour. you come yeah. back, do something right. different. <laughs> yeah. And you detour again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a very non-linear, non-traditional path. Yeah. It is. And it's something I think that is being more and more embraced by people. I mean, with the great resignation that just happened during the COVID years, with, with the enhancements of technology to give us more freedom of location, uh, and with the with kind of the diminishing of of, of gatekeepers. Uh, in the technological world, although new ones also have come up, that's also gatekeeping in negative ways, but there's certainly been a, a reshuffling of what gatekeeper means and who are the gatekeepers in life uh, from a technological standpoint. <clears throat> but yeah, I think, you know, the older generations, at least, um, particularly in America, <clears throat> they have this linear idea. I mean, the whole like job for life myth and you pick a, a vocation and that's what you do. Like it's, you're done. That's it. That's what you're going to do as opposed to I pick a direction, a compass, not a map, uh, and I see where that leads me. And I might detour frighteningly, I might detour interestingly, I might detour wonderfully, but being open to detouring and actually looking forward to that, like having a more open you know, horizon uh, and expecting to live a nonlinear life. Um, you know, on purpose, because I think those who expect to live a linear life and then don't, uh, particularly if they have like uh, you know uh, family expectations of, of, of a linear path, uh, and they they don't do it, they oftentimes uh, are distraught. <clears throat> you know, like what what the expectations were for them weren't met. Either uh, you know their parents' expectations, or family's expectations, or culture's expectations, or their own personal expectations, and then they have a hard time understanding and embracing a non-linear life that might've been thrusted upon them that they didn't anticipate. And so I think the more we talk about this and the more people understand either how to like intentionally design an unlinear life or expect that as a very likely possibility in your life, I, I think we can get people to see it in, in, with, with the beauty that, that it exists uh, for a nonlinear life. Uh, but a lot of it goes to failure. A lot of it goes to uncertainty. A lot of it goes to nothing is safe. Like these concepts, which are core concepts in my book, Failure Rules, they're very important for understanding how to live a nonlinear life. And th that's really a lot of what the book is about. It's about unorthodox career paths, particularly by creatives, and how they uniquely carved out those paths with no blueprint for them to follow. Like you don't go to college to get a degree on how to build a career as a comedian. You don't go to college and get a degree <clears throat> necessarily on how to build you know, uh, uh, a startup. I'm sure there's courses that exist. I'm not paternalism and this and that. But the amount of uncertainty that exists in something like that, um, you know, they're, they're not, um, 
it's not like getting an engineering degree. It's not like getting a degree in law. Uh, it's nonlinear stuff. And in the arts and in the creative space, um, I think the more we tell stories on different ways that different people approach that and, and uniquely found their hooks into success, um, I think I think that's extremely useful uh, to the world, particularly for those that are looking to build nonlinear careers. And I think it, it also increases the likelihood of the other person finding their own story, right? Because think about it when I, you have just a couple years on me, but when you and I were first starting much of this journey, I was constantly looking for different people with different perspectives. And the reason why yes. is because I felt like many of the situations I was in, I couldn't fully relate. I would hear a person's story, but then I'm questioning like, it doesn't really sit well. I, I can see it, but I don't see myself in it. And I think now, because there's so much information available and so many different ways to receive information, that's where I think having multiple stories can really yes. be a huge benefit. Because now you can literally listen to anyone. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, there's a caveat to that and figuring out who do you listen to and to what degree and what right. do you implement and all these other things. But because there's such a large variety to pick from, I think it just increases the chances of you finding your own path and creating your own story because now you could see it through someone else's lens that, okay, whatever I'm dreaming of, whatever I'm thinking of, it's not crazy. It's possible. He's exactly right. It. He's doing it. That's right. That's right. I mean, that, that's, that was the approach for writing this book uh, and failure rules. So I had so many case studies in here. I mean, everybody from Rodney Dangerfield, the classic failure comic to Winston Churchill, the punk rock icon, Henry Rollins to uh, cupcake entrepreneur, entrepreneur, Gigi Butler, like all these various case studies and the interesting ways that they found themselves in the career. And I think when you look at you know, a wide selection of very diverse case studies of people that led unorthodox lives and nonlinear careers, that you can take bits and pieces from each one that might uniquely speak to you and your circumstances or your uh, dreams or your North Star pursuit goals. And you cobble together this composite of like, all right, now I actually have my own unique blueprint from observing all these other stories, a piece here and a piece there, you piece them together before you know it, you, you might be able to cobble together something that becomes like a blueprint to help you create your own story and to live out your own story adventurously. And, and I think, <clears throat> I think you nailed it right there. I mean, that's really kind of, that was one of the goals of the book to kind of provide that framework for people. Uh, through telling these failure stories of, um, uh, of various um, people. Why did you choose to write your book at this point of your life? <clears throat> um, well, I started the book in 2013 following um, a business divorce and a, a marital divorce. So for many years, I was a self-employed entrepreneur and I was married for you know, 14, 15 years. All of a sudden, I found myself at an inflection point where I became a corporate employee and I was not married. So all of that change and all of the kind of entrepreneurial off-road adventuring that I had done and uh, the failures that had begun to shape me and inform me uh, and give me some wisdom, they were just all stewing inside me. And um, I was walking on the beach one day in 2013, reflecting on all of this. And ideas for the book just started coming to me. I was like, I am writing a book on the value of failure. Uh, and it was partly inspired by Winston Churchill's um, <clears throat> quote, 
that success is going from one failure to another without loss of enthusiasm. Because I still had that fire. I still had that enthusiasm. It didn't matter what the fuck was going to happen to me. I was going to keep going. And that inside of me, I just, I, I had to like excavate that. I had to put that on paper. And so I began writing it then. It took me about seven years to write amongst other life changes. I, you know, I got remarried. I started other businesses and did a bunch of other things, moved several times. Um, and, uh, you know, finally um, got it into, uh, uh, you know, editing and all of that. And, um, you know, it's been a long journey. It's been eight years. But it was, again, this goes back to, like, that internal spirit voice. I just felt like this was something that I was being uniquely called to bring to the world. And I didn't feel like I had a choice. I felt like I had to write this. It didn't matter almost really how I felt about it. Like it didn't, it doesn't even matter almost really, you know, whether it uh, makes back the money that I've invested in it. I mean, certainly I want to, but I felt like I can't leave this earth having not answered this call that was crystal clear to me that, that I need to write this. And so I did it. And in the process, I've 100% eliminated any future regret that I might have had I not listened to that voice to write this book, regardless of the outcome, as we spoke of, of, of the book itself and how it may or may not sell or impact people or the, the scale, scale in which it may or may not impact people. Mm -hmm. Where can people find it? Um, so it, it's um, on Amazon, of course, any other place where you buy books, all formats, um, you know, hardcover, ebook. Um, paperback. The audio book was done by Jay Asang, who was the uh, producer for the show Twin Peaks on Showtime. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. He, he's, he did the audio book. He does an amazing job. Great kind of, um, you know, urgent, um, <clears throat> uh, you know, voice on it. He did, he, he treated the material amazingly. I was super uh, satisfied with the way he did that. He's also done like music videos for Social Distortion. He's one of my favorite bands. And he kind of, I guess, you know, from that perspective is kind of in the entertainment world and has a, a knowledge of punk rock and punk rock is one theme in the book that uh, uh, is a through line because you know music has always spoken to me and um, the urgency of uh, hardcore punk has always been like a soundtrack to my life you know it's always given me strength and power to overcome um, <clears throat> odds uh, and everything so um, yes yeah, so you can find it on Amazon and anything Related to the book, andrewthorpeking.com. That's no E on the end of Thorpe, so it's T-H-O-R-P. Uh, and then we I do a YouTube channel, too, at Andrew Thorpe King. And um, got about 50 videos up there. About half of them are full-produced videos, all with themes from the book. Uh, did a lot of work on those. I think they're really, really good. Gives you a real flavor for the width of the material, the, uh, the width of my personality. Uh, and it kind of brings the themes of the book to life. And so that's another place we can uh, find me thank you all for listening to today's episode i hope you enjoyed it as much as we did if you haven't done so already please consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content also if you like what you heard consider leaving us a review on itunes facebook or google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening and we'll look forward to having you next time.